Amen. Praise God. He is the healer. Amen. Um, I am excited about the message that God gave me for this morning. And um, I think my biggest concern is, I hope I don't get too excited. I can't slow down. <laughs> I sometimes go too fast. I get excited. But um, I don't know. You, th- you think the more you study the Bible, after a while it, it could get boring in the natural in your mind. But the more you study Jesus, the more the you know, things jump off the page to you, the more you feel closer to him, the more you just really come alive. It's like you see things, no matter, I've been reading the Bible my whole life and there's stuff I still see all the time. Like, how did I not ever see that before? How did I ever know that before? They're just good stuff. So um, it was interesting you saw the vision of the temple and stuff too. We're going to talk about the temple in the Ark of the Covenant today. So when you think about the most holy and sacred thing in the Old Testament, you know, all the different cool, amazing things that we get to read about in the Bible. Probably the most holy, sacred thing in the Old Testament was the Ark of the Covenant, don't you guys think? Pretty amazing, kind of similar size, the communion table behind me. But this Ark uh, of the Covenant was a wooden box covered with gold on the inside and out. The lid of the Ark was also made of gold, and it formed a seal, a seat, excuse me, between two cherubim, which are angels, on each side, pointing this way, and the lid was called the mercy seat. It's absolutely just amazing. So this, like, this lid lifts off, and inside there's communion stuff in the inside of it. Um, there was a lid on it. It was called the mercy seat. There was angels on both sides, and, it, and that's where they applied the blood, was on top of this mercy seat. So it was there that God would meet with his people, okay? So inside the ark was placed the Ten Commandments, the, the law, the commandments, also the, uh, the jar of manna and the Aaron's rod that had budded and blossomed and had almonds on it <laughs> overnight. Wouldn't that be crazy? They put a bunch of, they're, they're fussing over who's the boss, who's the leader, and they put all their staffs into the, in the presence of God, and in the morning, Aaron's rod had produced almonds. That's awesome. So, um, so a huge veil separated the holy place from the most holy place. This huge veil. It was 60 feet wide, 30 feet high, and four inches thick. Okay? It comprised of 72 different squares that were sewn together that made this angelic pattern on the front of it. And ancient Jewish literature tells us it took 300 priests to lift it up there. Wow. 300 priests to pull this thing up there. So uh, it says, I also read that a horse tied to each end of it wouldn't be able to rip it apart. Uh, This veil formed a barrier between the glory of God and man. The ark also had four rings on it where they put poles through it, and that's how they were supposed to carry uh, and move the ark of the covenant around was by these poles. Um, And if they didn't do it, there was trouble, as happened to Uzzah. So I don't know if you remember, if you remember Yuza, but David and his mighty men got the Ark of the Covenant back. They were trying to bring it back to, their, uh, to Jerusalem, and they didn't know the Old Testament law. They didn't know uh, uh, the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. They didn't know it, and so they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant on a cart pulled by oxen. And that wasn't how it's supposed to be done. So the oxen's carrying, going along, and uh, all of a sudden the oxen stumbled. Yuza reached out his hand to kind of protect the ark so it, so it didn't fall off the, the cart, which you know you think would be a good thing. It is a good thing. But it wasn't supposed to be carried that way, and you're not supposed to touch it. And as soon as he touched it, boom, instantly he was dead. Yeah. And then people want to still be in the Old Testament today, in the Old Covenant today. They don't have a comprehension of, hey, you'd all be dead. We'd all be dead. <laughs> If we, if we did anything like we do today, even the worship we did this morning, with no veil in here, no whatever, we, we'd be dead. So the ark was sacred, the ark was holy, and not even Moses could touch this. Moses couldn't touch it. So um, the ark of the covenant symbolized several different things. First and foremost, the outside of the ark represented the presence and the glory of God and, and also God's mercy as revealed through the mercy seat and what it was called. But the inside of the ark represented man's rebellion. Just as there was rebellion inside of mankind today, there was symbols of man's rebellion inside of the ark. So the Ten Commandments were in there. You think about the Ten Commandments, the first time they were given, it says God wrote them with his own finger in the stone. I mean, that would be amazing to see that. What kind of font he used or whatever. I guess it's in Hebrew. So but anyway, he, he did that. Moses comes down the mountain, and they're, all, they're breaking all the laws already before they were hardly even written. They're doing all kinds of evil stuff. He gets mad and breaks the law, literally, and smashes it to pieces. So it represented man's rebellion against God. And then also in there was a jar of manna, 
which represented man's rebellion and grumbling against the food. I'm tired of this manna every day. Can't we have something different? So he gives them quail. And he's like, can we have something different? There's probably a message in there, but I'm not going there today. Just be careful what you grumble about. But anyway, Aaron's rod also budded, which represented man's rebellion against God's leadership. Why does he get to be the boss? Why does he get to be the guy in charge? Who died made him boss? And all this kind of stuff. And then God showed up and showed him, I want him to be the leader. When I read about Aaron, sometimes uh, what he did and how he led the people while Moses was on top of the mountain, I have some questions. But I'm not God, right? So he made that golden calf and said that it just jumped out of the fire. Like, okay, like anyone's going to believe that. So anyway, uh, but on the outside of the the, uh, Ark of the Covenant, also we have the lid called the mercy seat. But God's mercy covered over those symbols on the inside of it of man's rebellion. Okay, because mercy always triumphs over judgment. So inside there's rebellion, there's all these symbols, but over the lid where the blood was applied, it was with the mercy seat. So once a year, a priest could enter the Holy of Holies and place blood on the mercy seat, and their sins of the people were covered for another year. They were covered, but they weren't removed. They were covered, but they weren't totally dealt with. And so if anyone entered at any other time into the Holy of Holies, if anyone was to touch the Ark of the Covenant, it didn't matter who they were, they would die. As Aaron's two sons did things in the temple they weren't supposed to do, they, they, they offered uh, unholy fire to the Lord and they were put to death. And Aaron had to still serve in the temple. Imagine that day for him. He's bar- he's, the other people are burying his two sons and he's got to still serve the Lord in this manner. The veil was put in place for protection for the people because at that time, because sin wasn't dealt with the way it has been dealt with for us today, it was unsafe for mankind to enter the Holy of Holies. It was not safe. If they did, they were going to die. So their sin and their rebellion was covered annually, but their sin wasn't dealt with, uh, not the way it needed to be totally dealt with. It was just pushed off until a later date. Judgment and punishment for man's sins had not taken place yet. Man's substitute, like animals, had been punished. Animals had been killed, but no sacrifice had been made actually of man's blood for, to, to redeem mankind for what they have done. So that would happen much later through Jesus. So just like the animals did uh, for the children of Israel, Jesus, our sin substitute, suffered in his own body, taking the punishment that we deserved upon himself. Just like those animals were killed, the animals were slain, they were slaughtered year after year after year, our Savior, a human, the Messiah, who is also a picture of the Ark of the Covenant, who is covered with humanity and covered with divinity, covered with gold and wood, he says a picture of the Ark of the Covenant is Jesus, he was covered with it, he was covered with blood, he was covered with all the scars and the scratches, the bruises, the beatings, he himself bore the sins of all the world on himself for you and for me. Amen? So the very moment Jesus gave up his last breath, something amazing happened with that veil. It was torn in two from top to bottom by God himself. It wasn't because of an earthquake. It wasn't like the the hooks and things fell off the wall that sometimes happen when I hang things. But it's not because horses ripped the thing in part. God himself, it was almost like when David's son died and he ripped his garments. God himself took that thing and just went, just ripped it in half. Now we could think he ripped it in half because he was angry at what they did. And I'm sure it didn't please him, even though it did please him. Because it said, the Bible says it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Not because it pleased the Lord God to torture his own son. It pleased the Lord because payment had finally been made for the sins of mankind through the the sinless, perfect sacrifice of Jesus. Okay, so the veil was torn in two from top to bottom. And what does that symbolize? It symbolizes that now it is safe to go in to the holy place through the blood of Jesus because his blood has made it safe to go in there. They could walk, the priest could walk in there any, any time after that and like, hey, if I went like this before, my uncle died like that. Uh, and now he can go in there like, well, there's a mess in there. What, what's going on? There's stuff going on that shouldn't have happened. How are we going to build a new curtain? What are we supposed to do? They had to be so confused. The priest that didn't believe in Jesus, that is. So God tore that veil uh, 
when something was fulfilled. And what was it? It was judgment was fulfilled. Judgment. Okay? That's why the Bible says, therefore there is now no condemnation, the same word for judgment, for those who are in Christ. Because Jesus was judged as you, he was judged for you. You don't have to fear the great white throne room judgment like some pastors and people try to make you feel. Jesus was judged in your place. He was judged as you, for you, because he loved you. Innocent for the guilty. Okay? You don't need to have a good resume to try to make it to heaven. You need to have Jesus' resume to make it to heaven. That's the only one that's going to cut it, okay? No goody-goody two-shoes are allowed into heaven. Hallelujah. Praise God, right? We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We need a Savior. His name is Jesus. So why would he rip it in half? What did it mean? It meant it's not safe to go into the Holy of Holies because Jesus, our scapegoat, bore in his own body all of our sins, the Bible says all of our diseases, all of our guilt, all of our shame, all of our punishment, all everything from Adam all the way to the last person ever born, all of it on himself, in his body on the cross. Yes. All of it. And your false guilt, your false shame, your false judgment is not good. <laughs> I'm thinking of a better word than good. It's not, what is the right word? I don't know. It's not justified. It's deception. True humility is believing what Jesus says about you, no matter how you feel about yourself. You think you've got to be holy enough to make it in to the church? I've heard people say stuff like that, like, I would never come to your church, brother. God would strike me dead just walking through the door. Like, mm, mm, have you read the Bible? What part of the Bible have you been reading? Do you know about Jesus? Now, if in the Old Testament you'd have walked in the Holy Village, yeah, I'd agree with you. You'd be dead. We'd all be dead. Wouldn't matter who you were. But you walk into the presence of God today, because of the blood of Jesus, we have an invitation to the most holy place. We have an open invitation 24-7, seven days a week in your worst moment. After you've just committed a sin, after you've just done something nasty that you're embarrassed about, you still have this invitation because of the blood of Jesus into the holy of holies of God himself to talk to you, to counsel you, to direct you and order your steps. Amen. So Jesus hung on the cross for six hours. And while he's on the cross for six hours, all judgment is being placed on him. All judgment, they're accusing him, they're saying stuff, they're whatever. He's not even opening his mouth. Others say, hey, uh, John, take care of my mom, okay? Okay. Hey, uh, don't, God, don't hold this against them. Okay. Other than that, he doesn't say he said much on there. He was quiet. But all the time, he's hanging there, struggling for his final breath. He was receiving in his body, on the cross, every sin you've ever done, every sin I've ever done, the sin of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, anybody who's ever lived on this planet, Hitler, whoever it is, he bore all the sins of the whole entire world in and of his own body on the cross, all of it. The sins of the world, the Bible says, not the sins of Christians. I'm not saying universalism, that's not what I'm saying, because you have to receive him, you have to believe in him, all that stuff. But he bore the sins in his own body of the entire world. It's in the Bible, multiple places, I'm not going to show you today, show you before, you can read it yourself too. But he bore the sins of the world. All of them. Every one of them. So uh, we're going to come back to the Ark of the Covenant in a minute. But uh, when Jesus hung on the cross and breathed his last breath, when he said it is finished, it was finished, and, Jesus, and God himself ripped that veil, meaning it's safe to come in, okay? So not only was he judged for me, he was judged as me, because Jesus is and was our perfect sacrifice, amen? So uh, we'll come back to the Ark of the Covenant in a minute, but just so you know, the Ark of the Covenant represented Jesus, all right? Even when you think about his resurrection morning, they go in there, his clothes are folded up on the top, one over here, one over here, and what was sitting at the head and the foot of, of this looking thing that looked kind of like the Ark of the Covenant? Angels, remember? One at the foot, one at the head. Looked like the Ark of the Covenant there as his resurrection. Okay, it was made of wood, covered with gold, which represents his humanity, covered in divinity. He, he in, the mercy, in the mercy seat that was covered, man's rebellion, the animal's blood that was shed on the mercy seat, these are all symbols of Jesus in this, every year represented the one-time offering that was going to come that was Jesus that would take away all the priest's jobs. They'd all be retired. They'd all be unemployed because one high priest was now in town. He was the sin sacrifice. He was the Lamb of God. He was the goat, the scapegoat. It's his blood that did all, everything. 
Amen? I mean, when I read the Bible, sometimes I'm like, how did I not see that before that Jesus is everything? Even in the Old Testament, he was the feasts. He was the, all this stuff pointed to Jesus. Yeah. So it's connected. So again, the reason the veil was torn into from top to bottom is because it's now safe for you to go into the presence of God himself. Yeah. It's safe. Not because you've confessed every sin you've ever done, even though you can talk to God about that. That's a good thing to do. But it's because you put your faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. His finished work for you, amen? amen. Hebrews 10, 19 and 20 says this, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, not a dead way, not a dead lamb, not a dead goat, by a new and living way consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. Amen. Amen. His flesh was ripped in two, not completely in two, but torn top to bottom, head to toe, cuts, bruises, and beatings all over him. His veil and flesh was torn so that we can now enter the holy of holies and be with the Father. Amen. Not when you die and get to heaven, right now. Right now. Right now in this room. If you fix your heart on Jesus, you turn your thoughts, your affections toward Jesus, his presence will flood your soul. Guilt, condemnation, shame can keep you away from the cross and keep you away from what Jesus did for you. But the, the humility and what Jesus did for you can bring you right in his very presence. So it's now safe. So I want to show you these, some of these verses because I, we've heard so much about judgment. We've heard so much about condemnation. We've heard some people's opinions of God that he's this angry God and he just can't wait to beat you with a stick or something like that every time you mess up. And you know what? I can see, I can see some things where they, they think that of Jesus. I think that of God from the Old Testament. But really the Bible still says there he's slow to anger and rich in love. Some of those judgments he did against the children of Israel was after several hundred or thousand years. It wasn't like he warned them once or twice. Think of all the prophets that, hey, come on, guys. And he's like, again, and then they, they don't like what they said, so they kill them, right? So um, let me show you some verses. John eight thirty two, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. So there's a problem with this translation, okay? There really is. The word peoples is not in any of the original texts, is not in any of them. It was added by the translators who are trying to make sense of this verse. Uh, so you can't find it anywhere. So the teaching sounds like when Jesus lifted up to the cross, he's going to draw everybody to himself. Well, what is that? That's universalism. There's no other scripture in the Bible that says that God's going to draw everybody to himself after Jesus died on the cross. It says he bare the sins of the world, but they still had to put their faith in him. They still had to believe unto salvation, right? So this isn't what this was talking about. If you go back to the previous verse, John 8, 31, it says this, now is the judgment of this world, now the ruler of this world will be cast out. So the context of this verse was judgment, and judgment against the world. Well, it was time for the judgment of the world, but the world was judged through the body of Jesus. Pause for effect. The world was judged through the body of Jesus. Amen. That's why he came. That's why he did what he did. So in context, this verse should read, and if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all judgment to myself. It's like Jesus on that cross was a lightning rod for your sin and my sin, for your judgment and my judgment, and it was just like hitting him and coming upon him for six hours straight of generation after generation after generation of sin being put into his body. He became sin, remember? Who knew no sin, so you could become the righteous of God. He did it in six hours of this suffering, not just for his breath, but through the, the sins of you and me. John 5, 24 says this, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Okay, I'm just a simple guy. I'm not the best reader, okay? You guys know it, I've told you before. But I think this might mean, what if it means what it says? Okay, uh, let's read it. Most, most assuredly, so it's like when he says verily, verily, or truly, truly, that's the same phrase he's saying there. Most assuredly, I say to you. I say to you, Brandon. I say to you, Randy. You, Holly. I say to you, Brian and Joe and Joan. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears the words 
and believes him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to everlasting eternal life in him. Amen. Amen. Why? Because he was judged in our place. He bore it all on himself. Look at what it says, 1 Peter 2.24. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Amen. Isaiah 53, 6, uh, 53, I don't know what the, uh, 6b. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Yeah. Amen. All of us. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteous of God in him. And he became sin and was punished as sin, punished with the judgment that you and I deserved. Amen. Amen. And that's why when God himself tore that thing in two from top to bottom, it was now safe to go into the presence of the Father, now safe to go into the presence of God because Jesus bore the consequences for the sins that we had, we had done. I want to tell you, you walk through the door, you're going to get killed. No, he's, God is everywhere. It's not in a church building. He is everywhere. He's not confined to this room. He's not confined to this universe. Right? Okay? So for those who are in Christ, there is no more need for the fear of judgment. There's no more need for the fear of punishment because Jesus was judged in our place and his perfect love will cast out your fear. Amen. He is perfect love. The demonstration of perfect love. He, while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Amen? Don't believe the hype. Don't believe the lie that you have to be good enough to come into the presence of Jesus because you can never do it. Jesus was good enough for you. Amen? And as you come into his presence, he conforms you. Not even because he's like, I don't love you, so I'm going to change you a little bit here. If he really wanted you to change, he could do it like with sneezing. He could do it with just a blink of his eye. Or he, wanted to do, he wants to do it with you. Come here, son. Let's talk. You know when you said that to your wife the other day? Yeah. I'm not cool with that. I don't like that. Why not? And he'll, he'll, and he'll tell you. Yeah. He will tell you. He'll correct you. But he does it in an empowering way. He doesn't like scold you and shame you and want to call you an idiot and you're a moron. You're so stupid. I can't even stand you. That is not God. Right. And if your father was like that, I'm sorry, but it doesn't represent the father. That's right. yeah. Hey, man, that's not how God sees you. So those who are in Christ, there is no more need for fear of judgment. There's no more need for fear of punishment because Jesus was punished and judged in, a, in our place for over six hours and then three days after that in hell. Yeah. I think that was enough. Yeah. The Father said it was enough. Okay, so going back to the Ark Covenant, the Ark Covenant, a symbol of Jesus, was also known by another name called the Ark of the Testimony. Mm-hmm, I'm feeling some T.D. Jakes or something going on. Because I know what I'm going to say, and I hope you guys get it. I really do. Because, I mean, we, the church has been hijacked. It's been hijacked by the devil of what, who we are, what we are, what we carry, what's going on. You know, we are now, I mean, i got to try to say, we are now like the Ark of the Covenant. We are now like the Holy of Holies. Because Christ is in us now. I mean, I don't know how any other way to read that. Okay, let's look at this Ark of the Testimony, Exodus 25, 21 and 22. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the Ark, that's the lid, and in the Ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you. Just pause right there for a second. Hmm. In the Ark, put the testimony that I'll give you. You need to put the testimony that God gives you in your Ark. In your heart. Not the one you think you had from grandma or middle school or high school or college or not any of the other kind of thing you think you have of a testimony. You need to put the ark in the ark of your heart, the testimony that God gives you. Amen? Let's keep going and it'll get better. And there I'll meet with you and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, that's the angels, which are on the ark of the testimony. 
The Ark of the Testimony. Oh, it's a new, different name there. Ark of the Covenant, Ark of the Testimony, it's the same thing. About everything which I will give you, give you in command to the children of Israel. So again, the Ark of the Covenant, Ark of the Testimony, same thing, represented man's rebellion. It represented man's old nature, which was covered by the mercy. See, it was covered by the blood. But Jesus triumphed over judgment because he was that mercy seat and mercy always triumphs over judgment. But now we have a new testimony. Now we have a new testimony. There's a new covenant, which means New Testament, which is a new testimony. This is what we're supposed to have coming out of our mouths is the new covenant, the new testimony, not this old one, okay? That God said, you shall put the testimony that I give you in the ark. Amen. Mm. I hope you get that. It hit me when I was reading it. What made the Holy of Holies sacred and special wasn't the gold, it wasn't the artifacts that were inside the ark. What made the Holy of Holies special was the presence of God. Amen. They could have touched the ark when they, someone touched it when they built it, when they created it, right? When they, the guy that he anointed to build it, but it was the presence of God that made it special. And he said, There I will meet with you, there I will speak with you. Well, guess where there is now? It's right in here. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory. It's the Ark of the Covenant. It's the Holy of Holies. It's just Shekinah glory. It's the invitation to the very presence of God through the blood of Jesus because blood has been spilt for you and for me to boldly come before that throne of grace, receive mercy and help in our time of need. Amen. It's an invitation. God has left the building. God has left the tabernacle and he comes to live on the inside of you and me. And now we become this Ark of the Covenant being carried around from place to place to share his testimony, to share his, his uh, covenant, the covenant of his testimony in us, around us, to share it everywhere we go. Who is God? Who is God? Well, let me tell you who he is. I got him right here inside of me. Let me show you. Let me tell you. Let, not, the, uh, not the testimony of your past, not the testimony of your middle school, not the testimony of your mother, your grandmother. It's the testimony of Jesus. It's the spirit of prophecy. It's God in us. And we need to release God everywhere we go. We have to believe it, that he's in us. We have to believe the testimony, honor the testimony of God that he put in us. It's what he put in us. God has left the building. You don't have to come to this church to feel God's presence. You are more than welcome. We invite you. We want you to be here. But you can feel God's presence driving down the road, in the shower, going down. The, you can water ski. You can do whatever you want. God is everywhere, 24-7, all the time. Amen. Amen. And the more we embrace him, the more we receive it, while you're working, whatever, you can spend time with God all the time because of Jesus. All the time. I, I, I've read stories of people getting saved while they're high reading the Bible, smoking a joint, and they get born again. God's not limited. He's not limited. I don't recommend that way. I'm not saying I do, but I'm just saying God's not limited. Amen? So we are now the body of Christ, and God wants to put his testimony inside of us, just like the Ark of the Testament was holy and sacred back then. You are now holy and sacred because what Jesus did inside of you. Not the testimony of your past. Not the testimony of your failures. Not the testimony of your old man. But God wants to put his testimony inside of you. His testimony. What do you say? Well, you know, pastor, I don't feel like this. And I don't feel like that. I know that's true for you, brother. And that's true for you. But I'm a special case because of this and this and this. And it's all religion and hogwash. It's demonic lies. It's demonic lies. You heard it from the devil, the father of lies. That is not true. It's just not true. Oh, man. I'm trying. I'm trying to be a nice boy here. Hey, mom. <laughs> but um, God wants to put his testimony inside of us. It's a testimony that he gives us, okay? This is not, I feel like this. I don't feel like that. No, he said, she said. No, it's a testimony that is unchanging, the word of God. His testimony is the finished work of Jesus. Yes. That's the testimony you carry. You know, growing up in church, I, we, we had to go um, every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and sometimes I could skip Wednesdays, uh, but sometimes I couldn't. depends on what mood mom and dad were in, I guess. And um, so we're in church Sunday night, and every, every Sunday night that I remember, dad usually offered uh, testimony time, so people could stand up and give a testimony. And this same lady would give a testimony every week, and um, 
I thought, wow, she must really be close to the Lord. You know, like she's just so bold to share every week. But this testimony was a moaning and groaning of how much the devil's been kicking her, her tush all week. And he's been beating her up. The devil's been hunting me down. The devil's been beating me. The devil's been this, all this stuff, talking about the devil. But, but pray for me that I'll be able to hold on, brother. I'm like, I don't know, just like a little kid. I'm like, oh, man, that's kind of scary to me. What kind of life is she living? I'm like, I don't know. The devil's doing what? And uh, I'm like, I didn't know what to think. So... Growing up, and then you hear other testimony services, you get this guy coming in from across town because he got this amazing testimony because he was strung out on drugs and he, was, he almost died here and he did all this stuff, kind of like the recovery soldiers, women. And uh, that is a great testimony, but that's not the testimony of Jesus. And so they, they tell all their, they, they get up in the front, they talk for five, 10 minutes about how horrible they were and how much, how much drugs they did, how many women they slept with, how much this and that, how much they lied and cheat and did all this horrible stuff. And then, uh, then they say, and then I met Jesus. It's almost like, now I can't have any fun anymore. Now I can't do any of those things anymore because I met Jesus. They have, and I'm like, still waiting, where's the testimony? What's the testimony? What's the change? I just, I don't do that anymore. Well, 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 congratulations. I'm so glad you're not sleeping around. Way to go. That's an amazing accomplishment. I think that's a pretty basic kindergarten Christianity thing, right? To not do that. Are you guys okay? Yeah. I, I just, I hope you're okay because I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. So, uh, but they did, this, was the, this is what the example was of a testimony that you talked about the devil for five minutes, but God saved me. So then somebody who didn't go out and do all of those things, uh, as some others did, they say, well, I don't have a testimony. Right. You don't have a testimony? Well, how do you not have a testimony? When the Bible says we overcome by the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, guess who wants to take the testimony out of your mouth? Guess who wants to take the testimony out of the Ark of the Covenant, out of the inside of you? Who doesn't want you to overcome by the blood or by what you say? You want to want you to believe these lies and believe all this stuff that it's, it's all about this or that? So they think that they, don't have a, they don't have a testimony. Their testimony isn't that they were goody-goody two-shoes. Their testimony wasn't that they didn't have sex before they married. Their testimony wasn't that they don't, didn't drink or cut or chew or go with those that do. That's not their testimony. Their testimony is Jesus Christ came and suffered in his flesh for me and bore his, my sins in his own body on the tree that me being dead to sin would live for righteousness and by his stripes I'm healed. I'm now a new creation, recreated in Christ Jesus. The old has passed away. Everything about me has become brand new. That's your testimony. That's our testimony. It's not what you did wrong, what you did right. It's not like, oh yeah, everybody should become like me because I didn't do those things that this guy did. Well, whoopity-doo. You're not Jesus. You're not God. Are you guys okay? Yeah. I'm just going to just squash religion a little bit, if you don't mind. Uh, because I'm just, I'm just sick and tired of it. Amen. It has no power to save you. Whether you live the goody-goody two-shoes life, or you live the life like the people said you were the black sheep of the family of the devil, we need the blood of Jesus applied on our life to save us, to sanctify us, to set us apart. And you have to boldly go into that holy place through the blood of Jesus, by the invitation of God, to become changed. You can't change yourself. You have to have God's help. And praise God, he provided through Jesus. Amen? Amen. So our testimony is the testimony of Jesus. Amen. His testimony is our testimony. It's what he did, not what you did. Good or bad. It's not about what you did. It has nothing to do with you. Amen? Amen. That might be a news flash in today's culture and society, but it has absolutely nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with how good God is. When we praise God in here, I'm not lifting my hands because I'm, I'm a perfect Christian, so I, therefore I'm worthy to worship Jesus. No, I'm like, he is good, so I'm going to worship him. Amen. He is perfect, he is holy, he is good, so I'm going to worship him. It's not about me. Right. It's not about you. It is all about him. Amen? Oh. And so you can lift up holy hands to the Lord, whether you did something bad or did something good. It doesn't make any difference. Well, it kind of does. That's another whole sermon. I'm not getting into that today. But, but it, what makes a difference is the blood of Jesus has been applied for you. Yes. Amen? So we should have no confidence in our flesh and our performance one way or the other. Whether you had a good week or you had a cruddy week, you shouldn't have any confidence in your flesh. We have confidence in the flesh of Jesus that was the veil that was ripped and torn in two for you. Amen? Our confidence should be in the finished work of Jesus. His testimony is our testimony, and he wants to put his testimony on the inside of us. Amen? Do you think, how do you think we're going to overcome with the testimony of your past? 
Well, you know, brother, I'm going to overcome today by telling the devil all about how horrible I was in high school. Well, good luck with that one. Um, no, we've, we've been doing testimonies all wrong. And magnifying the devil, magnifying the past, magnifying sin nature and magnifying stuff instead of magnifying Jesus. It's the testimony of Jesus that is the spirit of prophecy, not the testimony of your past. Amen? We overcome by the blood of the Lamb the word of our testimony. So originally, there was nothing inside of the ark, originally, except for the Ten Commandments. The jar of manna and Aaron's rod that budded, that was added like many years later. So it was called the ark of the testimony because inside was a testimony of God. Inside the ark was a covenant that God made with man. Now, God is a multi-generational God, okay? So in order for the next generation to know the things that God did in the previous generation, somebody has to share the testimony. You hear me? So God instructed the people to observe certain days and seasons and holidays and feasts and build these monuments and stuff like this. He said, tell them to your children. Tell them to your grandchildren. When you walk along the road, when you're lying in bed at night, when you're going over here and there, tell them. Tell them what I did. Tell them who I am. Tell them about me. And what do we do? I'm not, I'm not wanting to sit, put guilt and condemnation on anybody. I'm just saying, we might have our testimony hijacked a bit. It's not the testimony of you. It's a testimony of Jesus. What did he do? What did he do? So if the previous generation didn't see them, God part the Red Sea, how would we know if someone didn't tell them? We didn't see them part the Jordan. They stacked the rocks up. The 12 rocks represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And they looked at them and they saw them and they said, hey, Dad, what, what are those rocks piled over there by the, the Jordan River for? Well, let me tell you. Back another generation ago with your grandfather, we were coming through here when I was just a kid and we got close enough and God himself parted the waters and we walked through on dry ground. Happened at the Red, the Red Sea, but also at the Jordan River, right? And they had to tell it. They had to share it. Well, guess what happened? One day we had no water. Moses took his stick and he went wham and he hit this rock and all of a sudden enough water came out from everybody. Our goats, our sheep, our three million plus people, water came out of everywhere. It's a testimony. And guess who carries this testimony in hidden jars and his earthen vessels is we carry the testimony of Jesus in us and we can shift the atmosphere around us by releasing the testimony of what God has done, not the testimony of what you have done. No one cares what we have done, right? We can brag about ourselves and people get bored about, oh, I'm so great, well, what do we do? We want to brag about Jesus. Yeah. Brag about yeah. God. Brag about his goodness in your life. We heard this story in, um, in, in uh, California last week with this guy that uh, wanted to remember the testimony just because, you know, you know how quick it is for us to forget? You can get healed last Sunday and forget by the following Sunday. Because you get used to walking normal again, you, your back not hurting, you're like, you forget about it. So this guy, he made this tree in his house, and he put leaves on this tree, he called it his testimony tree. And he put little, when something happened financially, or in a breakthrough family member, or a healing river, he just started gluing these leaves on this tree. Well, after so many years, this tree started to take over the house, it was getting really big. So it was impossible for guests to come into his house and, and not talk about it. It became the centerpiece of the conversation, like, what is that? That's kind of a weird decoration. Well, let me tell you. Yeah. Walk over this sleeve. You see this sleeve right here? This is when God healed my knee when I couldn't walk. This here is when God healed my back. I couldn't even move it. This here is when Gerald Arthur almost died. Uh, and, and, but he didn't because God saved him. This here, I heard this week with Terry, uh, I watched this video of Terry, came to church one Sunday night for healing service, and, he could, and his head was all hurting, and it was congested, and it was all this pain, and someone prayed for him that night, and instantly all of it just went away. Yeah. These leaves on the tree are for the healings of the nations. And we need to be the carriers of the ark of the testimony and share the testimony of Jesus, which is the spirit of prophecy, to release the power of God because he wants to do it again. You know, uh, 2015, we're putting new windows in the church here, and uh, I was in here one day, this guy named Rob, he, from Lowe's um, Hardware, and he was installing these windows right back there, and back then we had pews in here, 
And so the back pew and where the ladder was, it was a really steep climb to get those four windows up there. And this is a pretty big dude. He, he used to wrestle. Someone told me he used to wrestle in WWE back in the day. I don't know what his name was. Uh, but anyway, he used to wrestle in high school, wrestled there. He played football. And somewhere along the way, he got some kind of injury. And he's carrying these windows up on up the ladder. It's really steep. And I could see him just each step. He's just like, oh, oh. and he's probably like twice the size of me and just totally built. And he, but he's just grimacing in pain. And so when he came down, I was like, is your back bothering you? It was kind of like a duh, like it was, like it was so obvious. And he's like, yeah. Uh, he said, I heard it. And I can't remember if he said wrestling or football back in high school. He was probably in his 40s now. And uh, I said, well, would you mind if I pray for you? So we're in the church, right? And he knew I was the pastor. This guy completely felt obligated to let me pray for him. It wasn't like he was this super spiritual dude. Like, yeah, man. Like, he was just like, I guess so. He totally, like, he, he, he basically was like, he was in work mode. He was like, you are, you are taking my time here from getting this stuff done. I want to go home kind of thing. So I prayed for him right over there, right where you're sitting, Alan, and, um, and God instantly healed this guy. So he's, uh, I don't, he did grow up some in church, but he hadn't been there in a while, and it was all he could do not to start cussing and swearing. I'm just telling you the truth. He, he was, knew he was in the church because he was just like, uh, he's internally freaking out. He looked terrified, like, what's wrong? He goes, nothing. I'm like, well, you look like you're really upset about something. He goes, no, no, I'm good. I go, well, is it any better? You feel better? He goes, well, actually, I don't have any pain at all right now. And he's like, uh, isn't that a good thing? Yeah, but I don't understand that. What did you do to me? Like, I'm, I'm feeling tingles all over me. I have no pain. I, I, I'm so confused right now. I just, I, I'm scared. I, and this is big, muscular dude. He was terrified. I was trying not to laugh because I read about stories like that, <laughs> different books and different things that people just like, they just don't have a grid for it. Anyway, uh, I said, well, praise God, he healed you. I didn't heal you. Praise God. Give him, gl- give him glory. He's healed you. He goes, okay, all right. And he just went back to work. And I went back there like, <laughs> tried to laugh. And like, that was funny. So uh, through the week, I can't remember what happened. It was in youth or church or somewhere else. There was a couple of people that got healed of back issues and stuff like that. And um, so then we were sharing, the, te- the next Sunday came around, we were sharing the testimony of how his back was healed and Rob was healed and these other people's backs were healed. And I had this, this thought popped in my head, God's healing backs. Like, who else in here has a back injury? And I would say, if you have that right now, you can take it right now too, okay? Because the testament of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It's the root meaning of it. He wants to do it again. That's how we know who God is, by hearing the testimonies about God, who he is and what he's like. So... Uh, we had a guest speaker that day, uh, Bob Brown, not Bobby Brown, the musician, but Bob Brown from Newland. He's the guy over the Crisis Pregnancy Center back at the time, and he was sitting right where Holly was, and uh, he could tell he didn't grow up in a church like ours, and he looked like he was scared and uncomfortable and nervous, and I'm telling these stories and stuff, and I said, does anyone here have something going on their back they need prayer for? And his wife took his arm and like, shoved it up like that, and he's like trying to get it down, but I already saw it, like, oh, Bob, you got something going on your back? And he was born with scoliosis. Had trouble sleeping. He had trouble, all kinds of pain, all kinds of stuff. He just had learned to, to live with it, which, you know, if you don't get healed, there's, you don't have any other choice. So he was right there, Holly and I, and I don't remember who else went over and prayed for him. And I remember that day we were leaving for Canada right after the trip for vacation. I get a text or a call in Canada. I said, you remember that guy, Bob Brown? And I had to remember, think for a minute. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. He goes, when you guys pray for him, his back's totally healed. He slept like a baby that night. His wife, was like, he didn't wake up. He had no pain. The next healing service, he came to the meeting. I read it in my notes uh, yesterday. And he testified to the whole church how his back was healed. Hallelujah. Um, the testament, what happened? All we did was share the testament of Rob getting healed, the guy that was carrying the, le- the windows up the ladder. The other two miracles, I can't remember who they were, the backs that were getting healed. And then I said, God's healing backs. The testament of Jesus, he didn't even have a whole lot of faith for it. His wife is the one that stuck his hand up. But the testament of Jesus released the spirit of prophecy and the guy got healed anyway. How are we going to know, how are our kids going to know, how are their children going to know who God is really like if we don't share the testimony of Jesus? We can't focus on what he's not doing. Focus on what he is doing. Whether it's government in the country, whether it's in our church, in our homes, family, we can't focus on what God hasn't done yet. We need to focus on what he has done, release the testimony that he has done, give God praise for what he has done, and we'll see more of him doing other things in our lives. Amen. So um, I'm almost done. I hope you guys are good. Um, yeah, Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. 
you shall teach them diligently to your children, and they shall and you shall talk of them when you sit at a house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. This testimony, uh, their testimony wasn't the focus. Their their testimony of their slavery wasn't the focus of their conversation. They had been in slavery for 430 years. That was a true reality. That wasn't the focus of their testimony. Their, te- their focus of testimony was God parted the waters. God uh, sent the 10 plagues and we were safe. God killed the Egyptians that were trying to kill us. God took us out. And everybody who heard the testimony in all the other countries that surrounded them were terrified of the Israelites because of the power. They knew God was with them and they were scared of this golden box that they carried around because they knew the power of God came from that box and it was gonna kill somebody. Like the Philistines. Remember when they, they took the Ark of the Covenant? So now we have the Ark of the Covenant on the inside of us. We carry the testimony of Jesus in us. The devil should be terrified of us like those countries were terrified of, uh, uh, terrified of the Ark of the Covenant and God's presence with them. He said, what do you say? Resist the devil and he'll what? Please. Maybe we need to share the testimony. Our testimony is his testimony. We testify with the work of God. We testify the finished work of Jesus. The Ark of the Covenant was holy and sacred in the Old Testament, and inside the Ark of the Covenant was a testimony of God and how he worked with man. Inside the Ark of the Covenant was a covenant that God made with man. Inside of us is the covenant that God made with us through Jesus. That's what we carry. That's your testimony. Amen? Amen. So um, our testimony should be about the new covenant that God made with Jesus on our behalf. Don't ever let anyone tell you you don't have a testimony. You might not know what it is yet, but you get in the word and let God put his testimony in your heart and let that word come out of your mouth and you'll see how God doesn't change your life. Amen. Everyone who heard the testimony uh, was afraid of what the Israelites were gonna do and that the devil's afraid of us today. We know it. So again, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What is he doing? What is he doing in this church? What is he doing in our country? You can hear a testimony from Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, Canada, New Mexico, anywhere in the world, anywhere, any state, any country, anywhere. And you can say, that's my God. That's a testimony of Jesus. God's doing this. God's doing that. And you can jump on board and partner with what he's doing and experience it in your own life too. Hope you guys are good, all right? I'm gonna end with this verse here. We can pray. Oh, yeah, we've got communion too. We've got to pray for some people too. But uh, 1 John 5, 10, 11. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. The witness is also testimony in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in the Son. What's your testimony? That God has given us eternal life and that life is in his son Jesus. Let me tell you about it. If you are waiting to feel something, if you're waiting for these holy moment goosebumps, you're missing out on the testimony of Jesus. Just testify about the goodness of God. Testify about how he healed Debbie's leg or how he did this or that. Testify, tell your neighbors and friends about Jesus and you'll see how things just change in your home and people around you and how you start seeing more things happen. In the Old Testament, they were scared to come into the holy place, afraid they would die. And in the New Testament today, we're scared to speak because we're afraid that someone might be get mad at us. Wow. They would have died. No, we're afraid that they're going to persecute us or whatever. I'm telling you, that will go away. I believe it will go away as we get our testimony right. Yeah. It's about Jesus. Our testimony is a testimony that God has given about a, our, a son, that God has given us eternal life, and that life is in him. So behind me, if the elders would come and prepare the Lord's table for me, um, behind me is a table of communion, very similar size to the Ark of the Covenant. And um, when you're little, you walk in, you haven't been to church before or something like that, you can be like, uh, hey mom, hey dad, what's, what's, that, what's that box up there for? What, what's that say on the front of it? Do this in remembrance of me. Well, what, is, what is the bread and juice for? Are we going to have snack time later? 
I mean, when little kids, they come in, right? They just, they just don't know. They don't know what's going on. We're going to have a, a snack. Can you guys, you, Randy, you take that away from me? Thanks. Um, somebody. And uh, that's your opportunity as a father, a mother, a grandfather, grandmother, brother, sister, when they ask, when they're lying in bed, walking along the road, when they're going with you, you say, son, let me tell you about this table. It's a testimony of Jesus that he wants to do it again. That he, he took my sins and he carried my diseases and by his stripes I'm healed and he was wounded for my transgressions and he was crushed for my iniquities. The chastisement, the pain for my peace was placed upon him. And you start telling your sons and your daughter about Jesus and what this represents. And it's not just juice and bread. It represents the body and the blood of Jesus that was broken and spilled and poured out for you and for me so we can go and have communion with God. We can have fellowship with the Father. We can go boldly to the throne of grace to receive mercy and help. It's the, it's the new covenant that was established in his blood for you and for me. And we carry that new covenant, that new testimony in us. Amen. Amen. The book, New Testament, it means same thing, New Testimony. It's my New Testimony. Amen. Yeah, that might have been how I was before, but that's not how I am now. Amen. I'm going to pray and bless these um, elements, these symbols of Jesus. And uh, I want to believe, God, you're going to get healed as you take it. I've been saying it for years. I'm going to keep saying it and believe. I'm still believing God for it because that's what he paid for. Yes. And the testament of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So God, I thank you for your broken body that you let mankind that you created do that to you is, is hard to comprehend. The kind of love you have for us is hard to, hard to get it sometimes. That you allowed them to do that. You allowed them to punch you and whip you. And you could have called 10,000 angels. You could, have, you could have stopped them. But you didn't. Because you love us. And I thank you that you, your blood was poured out for me and for all of us for our sins and the sins of the world. You paid the penalty on the cross for all of us. Because you love us really that much. That while we're yet a sinner, you, you died for us. You care. So I thank you for the new covenant that was established in your blood. Now we are sons and daughters, those that are born again are sons and daughters of the Most High God, recreated in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. So God, we bless these, these holy signs and seals of your covenant of grace. Thank you for them. We set them apart from common use to holy use. I pray for spiritual encounters as we partake. We can boldly come to your throne room like it's your throne room right here. That we have encounters with the Father because of Jesus, because of this table, because of these elements. That we'd receive the love of God, we receive healing, we receive the forgiveness of our sins, we receive salvation, we receive whatever it is that you, you've provided, we'd receive it. Yes. And then testify about it. God, I just thank you. Bless your holy name. So I'm going to invite you guys to come forward and receive from the Lord's table. And when you do, just take it back to your seat and hold on to it, and we'll take it all together as a family. So um, come and receive.